So anyway, here, here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk today about God and politics. Lucky me. Um, yeah, thanks, Bill. Uh, I, I, I'm going to pray again. So God, we, we just lift this time to you and uh, we thank you, God, that you're here and, and uh, something tells me you can overcome even this. And we love that about you. So speak today to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, yeah, we, <laughs> I, I got to be honest, you know, this is a topic that's been easy to avoid uh, for <laughs> six years now uh, of a sense existence. I don't think either me or Bill has done a talk solely on politics and so it's just kind of interesting, right, that the timing of it is real interesting in that we've got a vote this week in the Senate. Uh, we've got a vote tomorrow night in Iowa. Uh, and so I think Bill somehow orchestrated all of that uh, to, to have me give this talk during this time. Actually, this week, as I started diving into it even more, we normally don't do this, but uh, I called Bill. He's out of town. I called him on Wednesday and just said, I know it's crazy, but I think we've got to expand this series 2020, what we've been going through. I think we've got to expand it one more week after this because I feel like there's actually more to be said about this topic of God and politics than just this Sunday. So we're going to hit it again next week, uh, which means that if I don't offend you today, uh, you have another chance next week to be offended. Um, so happy to try to help with that. Some of us are sitting here going, why is the church even talking about this? You, you have a barometer that says the churches and politics should never mingle, and so we shouldn't even be discussing this at church. And um, I want to unpack that one first, just briefly a little bit today about why does this matter for us to actually talk about and not just avoid uh, something happened to me a few months ago that I think maybe helped with this a little bit. So as you know, our church's vision, or maybe some of you know, our church's vision is that every person would see Jesus clearly and find life. And so this, this whole series is about how do we see God clearly in a very blurry world. And so uh, that includes the people that we come into contact with, obviously, and so a few months back, I wandered out to my mailbox. It was a Sunday, and I saw my neighbor out there, and the mail doesn't come on Sunday, so that was a disappointment, and maybe you've done that before. But um, we started talking, and he looked at me, and he had an interesting question for me. He said, hey, uh, did you wear that to church today? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, okay, so then that means you must not have had to speak or anything in front of people. I said, no, I, this is what I preach in all the time. He goes, really? And then he asked, I don't know how that question then led to this question, but the next question he asked was, can I ask you if you guys are one of those evangelicals? It's really interesting. Why don't you stop and think for a second about that? What's he really asking? I actually don't think he's interested in me. You know, my little nerdy brain wants to trace the history of evangelicalism and describe to him the use of that term over time. I don't, I don't think he's interested in that. What's he, interested, what's he asking in that moment? As I unpacked it a little bit with him, what he was asking is, do I have to be a Republican to go to your church? And maybe even 
a step further, do I have to be of one particular political party to be a Christian? Guys, if anybody in this room is having any kind of conversations with people, right? And I know you are with your neighbors and your coworkers and people at school or whatever. The question around politics and faith is increasingly coming up, increasingly part of the dialogue. You cannot read the news without understanding what an issue this is. You know, it's, it's everywhere, even places that you wouldn't expect it to be. I pulled into the parking lot of Cabela's recently. And, you know, I'm, I'm there, like, and I love actually when you pull in and they've got all the stuff out on the sidewalk. They've got uh, ATVs and they've got their boats and all the kinds of stuff out on the sidewalk. And I always look at that before I walk in and I head straight to the fly fishing section. And so, uh, but I, I look at that stuff and one day we pulled into the parking lot and I noticed that there was a Humvee sitting there, a really cool Hummer, sitting right on the sidewalk and it was painted in an American flag. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And then I got closer, and this is what I saw on the Humvee. There was a, a, a big M-something gun on the side. But the interesting thing to me were the words that they put above that, that gun. You, can you see it? In God we trust. I, I want you to think for a second about my neighbor and what he thinks when he pulls into the Cabela's parking lot. Increasingly in the culture you guys, people are starting to wonder, do I have to adopt a certain political view in order to be a Christian? Or maybe they don't even ask that, they just assume. And so our job is, as people that really care deeply and really actually want to see Jesus clearly for who he was, we got a challenge on our hands. This is going to be a heck of a year. (laughs) It's going to be a divisive year. It's going to be a challenging year for anybody who calls themselves a Christian to figure out how we are going to navigate this. Guys, if we want to help people see Jesus clearly, we won't put our heads in the sand and not talk about politics. This is a topic we've got to tackle square in the face. So I want us to look today, and I want to start with how did Jesus himself navigate this? Sometimes we might think, oh, well, our situation's, you know, harder than anything that's ever happened out there. And man, yeah, I get it. We've got a pretty divisive, tricky scenario on our hands here. But Jesus chose, Jesus, God, who comes to earth as a human being, chose to insert himself into one of the most challenging political scenarios, and he met it. And I want us to look today at how he managed it, because I think if we look at our Lord with this, that's going to translate into how those, if if you call yourself a Christian, we can look at Jesus and say, okay, we want to try to follow after this. And even if you don't call yourself a Christian, I think there's something that we can learn today from how Jesus went about this. So give you a little bit of background, okay? And this, this is important, so catch this. Here's the scenario Jesus found himself in, okay? There, there was the Roman government. And the Romans, y- you all know some stuff probably about the Romans. The Romans were a war machine. They took over the entire Mediterranean. They had, right where Jesus came into, right, modern-day Israel was occupied by the Romans, 
So, so Jesus is now in a scenario where he's living in an occupied territory, and the Romans did exactly what occupying countries do. They tax those that are occupied. Okay? And, and actually, as Americans, we should probably understand what that's like. The whole reason we're a country is we revolted against that. That spirit is alive and well in the area that Jesus is born. Because what, what we think is, is that uh, the Jews were being taxed about 40 to 50% of their income. Okay, you think taxes are high now? 40 to 50% of their income was going to the Romans, fueling the next conquest, fueling that you know, gladiator fight, all the stuff the Romans love to do, that's coming out of the occupied territory's pockets. And there's people who want to revolt. So Jesus was in the midst. They didn't have Democrats and Republicans, but they had a bunch of different groups. One of them was called the Zealots. Okay, the Zealots wanted to fight. The Zealots wanted to go against Rome. In fact, this is crazy. Jesus had a Zealot in his little band. Okay, one of his disciples was a Zealot. Zealots wanted to start a revolution. And in fact, about, I'm going to read to you a passage here in a second. About 20 years before the, the setting of this passage, a zealot had started a revolt against Rome where they objected to this tax that Rome was giving them. And so they started a fight to try to kick the Romans out. And that lasted about two seconds. And the Romans won and the Romans killed this guy and then moved on. But that was in the mind of everybody. Everybody would have known about that. That's who the zealots were. Then you had Herod. Herod was the puppet for Rome in Israel. So Herod's the guy who's collecting the taxes. He's got his little minions. He's very happy to be in power. The Herodians, those who follow him, they're on, they're on the side of Rome. And then you have this group called the Pharisees. And we've talked about the Pharisees some, but here's what you've got to know about the Pharisees too. The Pharisees loved rules, religious rules, but they also loved being in power. And so the Pharisees made a little deal with the Herodians where they said, hey, look, we're going to keep the, help people, keep the people in line. As long as you help keep us in power, we'd be happy to do that. Now, there's one thing that the Pharisees couldn't stand, and that is anybody challenging their religious power. And so when Jesus comes to earth and claims that he's God on earth, they hated him, and they wanted to kill him. And that's the context that Jesus finds himself in. How in the world is he going to navigate this stuff? Well, it all comes to a head in uh, Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew's writing about this. And here's what he writes. It says, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They wanted to get rid of him. They sent some of their disciples, Pharisees, along with the supporters of Herod to meet with them. you got the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they come to Jesus, and they're figuring out how are we going to trap him. It says this, Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God so truthfully. You're impartial and you don't play any favorites. Anybody ever try to manipulate someone? Um, this is classic manipulation. Hey, Jesus, you're the man. You don't take it from anybody. Just put it out there, man. Tell us what you think. Don't hold back. They're trying to elicit in Jesus some kind of response that would get him to say something off the cuff. That's what they're after. And then they have carefully plotted out this question to try to trick Jesus. And here's the question. Now, tell us, Jesus, what do you think? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Give us a yes or no answer, Jesus. We need to hear from you. Yes? Pay taxes? No, don't. Now, 
This is a trap. And it's a trap for even more than what I've told you so far. I want to give you a little bit more of a piece of understanding why this is so tricky of what they're trying to ask Jesus. There's another factor at play. And you can see it. There's no better way to show it to you than on the actual coin that they're going to use here in just a moment. Okay? There's an old Roman coin that looked like this. And this is the coin we think that they were using at the time. So this is a picture of the Caesar at the time, Tiberius. Now, if you look on your right on the screen, can you see over there where it says Caesar? But there's four more letters. Can you see what those four letters are? D-I-V-I. What does that mean? It means Caesar is divine. It means Caesar doesn't just want your money. Caesar wants your worship. Caesar says he is the son of God. And so Caesar doesn't just want to play his gladiator games. He wants your ultimate loyalty. So, Jesus, yes or no? Guys, what happens to Jesus if he answers this yes or no? Look what happens. Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for the tax, right? Guy flips him a coin. You see Jesus kind of grab it, look at it. They hand him the Roman coin, and he asks, whose picture and title are stamped on this coin? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus does something so brilliant. Faced with this yes or no, black or white question, here's how Jesus responds. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And he amazed them and they went away. Why is that so brilliant? What is it about that statement that A was brilliant, B we can emulate and learn from? What's beautiful about Jesus is he looks at this and he says, you see this image on this coin? Looks to me like this is Caesar. And if Caesar's over there in Rome minting this up, yeah, give it back to him. In fact, he even changes the verb. It goes from the question, is it okay to give Caesar taxes? And Jesus changes the verb to, yeah. If this is his and his image is on it, give it back to him. He can have it. But whose image is on a human heart? Whose image is on a human soul? Any person sitting there who's read anything in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, beginning of the Bible, would know that it says, and God made human beings in his image. Never give anyone but God what has his image on it. And that's a human heart. That's a human soul. They were trying to trap him into saying, are you a revolutionary? And Jesus at the same time says no and yes. Yeah, I'm a revolutionary. Yeah, I'm in a revolt. We will never 
give our ultimate allegiance over. Never. We won't do it. I am a revolutionary, but I'm not taking up a sword in my hand. I'm going to revolt with nails in my hands on a cross. And so Jesus saves the human soul and says that your soul is for God. Give back to God's, what is God's? Do you see the brilliance? And here's what else he did in that moment. And this is where I start to think, okay, this matters for today. Here's what Jesus did in that moment. Jesus absolutely rejected the day's political simplicity. Jesus rejects political simplicity. Guys, we live in a day that's begging for yes or no answers. Are you left or right? Are you Democrat or Republican? Are you an elephant or a donkey? And those lines are getting so pushed apart every single day. And the world that we live in is begging you to make yes or no simple answers. And I'm here to say, I believe that Jesus would have utterly rejected that. And I think as someone, I hope, as we try to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, I want to invite you to consider to utterly reject the idea of political simplicity. Here's how it gets played out. Uh, one writer referred to it this way, thought it was an interesting way to think about it. He calls it package deal ethics. So if I'm a Republican and I look at the list of issues, okay, all the stuff that they're debating about, Immigration, healthcare, climate change, taxation, go down the list, gun control, whatever it may be. If I look at all those issues, if I'm a Republican, it lines up on this is exactly what I have to think. On this issue, I have to think this way. On this issue, I have to think this way. On this issue, I have to think this way. It is a package deal. And guys, you don't have to look any further than this week to know that if you step outside the package deal, there's consequences. Democrats, you got to think this way, you got to think this way, you got to think this way. It is a package deal to align yourself either way. I believe that Jesus would have refused a package deal ethic. Why? Because the central teaching of Jesus on earth was that he was bringing a new kingdom in which he was going to be king. That the kingdom of God, when, when Jesus is asked this question, is it okay to pay taxes or not? His first instinct is not, which party should I appease? His first instinct is to look at the kingdom of God and say, I will reject that kind of simplicity and I'm going to answer as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, the king of heaven. And guys, what I'm saying today is the followers of Jesus need to do the very same. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3. He says, we're citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting the return of a king. Guys, the issues, the candidates, the challenges that we're faced through, my question today is, what primary filter are you looking at those things through? Are you looking at those things through 
a very small temporal idea of human-made institutions? Or are we evaluating our politics through the broader, eternal, powerful idea of the kingdom of God? Think for a second again. Let's just let's hike our way back. I brought up gun control. Let's talk about it. I want us to think for a second. Think, think, think to yourself for a moment. Where does your viewpoint on that issue come from? Where does it come from? Does that come from your upbringing, maybe your family? Does it come from an experience that you had? Does it come from an article that you read? All, all those things are important. Maybe it comes from your political party that, that you just, okay, package deal, it means this over here, it means this over here, I, I'm gonna go along with that. Or does it come from maybe trying to understand what is actually the heart of God around this? Could you articulate the heart of God around this based on something, not just this, right? Because we can all say, here's what the heart of God is. Could you look at the scripture and articulate a position on that issue or any issue because of how you see the scripture and the scripture's description of the heart of God and not just one verse that we pull out of wherever? Now, if that sounds intimidating, I mean, I don't even know how to read the Bible, let alone to articulate a... My back? No good. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Start diving into this. Start filtering this through the lens of the kingdom of God rather than any other single factor. I think this is really key to what it means to put Jesus first in our lives. Andy Stanley says it this way. He's a pastor uh, in Atlanta, and here's what he says about this. He says, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the lens of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics. Let me read it again. This is a big one. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the lens of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? Man, there's a lot of self-awareness. I'll confess, this is a tough one. Where, where am I falling into the world's simplicity and little kings rather than following after the king? That's the call of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And it is so important, you guys, to do this. Here's the deal. We want to avoid putting our allegiance into things that frankly are not going to last. This might sound crazy, but I don't, I don't look around the room. It wouldn't surprise me that in our lifetime, it could be that there are no more Democrats. It, it could be in our lifetime, there are no more Republicans. Um, to give you an example of where I'm coming from on this, if you know the history of our country, let me just ask, are there any Federalists in the room right now? Federalists, raise your hands. Okay, don't see any. Whigs, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. 
I'm actually thinking about restarting the Wigs party. Um, bourbonites. Any bourbonites in the room? Okay. Put your hand down, Bill. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they're gone. Someday Democrats are going to be gone. Jesus is still going to be king. Someday Republicans are going to be gone. Jesus will still be king. As sad as it sounds to me, I love the place I live. I know many of you have actually fought for this. If history is any indication, though, there's someday the U.S. will be gone. The United States will be gone. Jesus will still be the king. Guys, I want to align my allegiance under that. I want to align the way I think about candidates when I step into a voting booth under that. I want to think about the issues under that. I don't want to align myself in some sort of package deal that screams of simplicity when there's something so much greater that is calling you. Man, there's an incredible opportunity. I believe this in my heart and soul for this church. I think we're positioned in this really interesting way. If you haven't noticed, we are not a Democrat church. We are not a Republican church. We are a neither church. We want to be a kingdom of God church. I pray that you never go to a Republican church or a Democrat church. Resist it. There is something so much greater, and that is why Jesus himself, as he looked at his team of people, included a zealot. But do you remember who else was on there? You guys, Matthew, the person I read from his gospel, his account of this, you know his background? Matthew was actually collecting taxes for the Roman government. Can you imagine what their campfire conversations were like? Wow, but united. United somehow after a bigger vision, something greater. The difference between a Herod supporter and a zealot is even further pulled out than our day. And yet Jesus brought those guys together somehow. And they had to talk to each other. And they had to love each other. And they had to demand, and Jesus demanded that there was some sort of civility and love and understanding and hearing that is a kingdom of God principle. Man, we as Christians, we in this community can be calling out for that, demanding that we live under a different standard of the kingdom of God and how we treat each other. Guys, if you're a Republican, all Democrats are not freeloading welfare loving socialists. They're not. Resist that immaturity. That's not how Jesus would have seen this. If you're a Democrat, all Republicans are not rich, entitled racists. They're not. Jesus would have said no to that kind of simplicity. Jesus would have made them sit down in a circle together and eat something together and talk. That's a call to the church today. That's a call to us as a church. Look at what Jesus prayed at the end of his lifetime. This is, this is getting close to when he's going to be arrested and crucified. Every word counts at this point. Every prayer matters at this point. 
And in John 17, Jesus prays this. Look at these words. I'm praying not only for these disciples, these people right here in front of me, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. One of the reasons I love this prayer is it's for us. This prayer actually has you in mind. Jesus in his just infinite ability, I think, I'd like to think, saw my face. I'm praying for him, praying for Jim. I pray that they will all be what? One. Just as you and I are. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Does that mean they're going to agree on everything? No, but they're united under the idea that they're citizens of heaven living with a different king. And why does this matter? That they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Guys, we do not have to agree on political issues to love each other. I'll tell you, the real winning candidate, <laughs> the real winning idea in this year, at least for the church, will be how does the church speak up, speak out, love, defend, care, talk, listen? Those are ideals of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, rejecting today's political simplicity and rhetoric. Christians need to be called to something different and higher. Some of us are sitting in the room right now going, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. Can I end just, let me push a little bit on all of us. I'm going to ask you some questions. And I actually think these questions are, if, if any of them are true, I hope it raises a little bit of a concern or red flag in you and in your, just the self-awareness that we all have. I want you, as I, as I go through these, would you pick one of these out? Would you look at one of these and say, okay, that's for me. And that's what I need to pray about and talk about as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Check these out. Here's the first one. First one's this. This is a red flag. Do you just avoid this altogether? Guys, I, part of the reason why politics are so important is they impact people. One of Jesus' central commands was love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The people we vote for and the policies we choose are, are actually part of that. It's an act of loving your neighbor. And so we can't just bury our head in the sand. You, you got to vote, right? We want to participate. We want to be people that are doing that. And again, if for nothing else, we got to remember there's neighbors, there's coworkers, there's people in our classes who are asking these questions. Christians ought to be leaning in right now more than just about anyone else, trying to understand the issues and hoping to bring compassion and love of Jesus and the kingdom of God to every issue that we encounter. Okay? That's a red flag if we're just avoiding it altogether. Here's the second one. Do we mock people of the other party? This is a tough one. This is one that probably for a lot of us is just generally true if you fall on one side or the other. And I actually do believe that Jesus will call us to account for that. I think Jesus is not going to be impressed someday when we stand in front of him and we say, yeah, we stuck it to the Democrats. You know, oh, yeah, we stuck it to those Republicans. I don't think Jesus is going to be impressed by that. 
I think Jesus wants to know, like, are you bringing the kingdom of God values in how you talk, in what you post on social media? Jesus cares about that. It's a red flag, I think, if we are mocking people of the other party instead of actually trying to understand them. Third question is, do you talk more passionately about your party than you talk about the kingdom of God? If that's true for you or me or whomever, I just, here's what I just stop and say. Just ask yourself why. What is it behind that? What is it that, that um, is it that we don't understand more about the kingdom of God and what that's all about? And actually next week, we're going to dive way into that and help us understand not just how we talk about this, but how we take action. Okay. But, but what we want to avoid is, you know, it's so funny. Human beings, for, for some reason, from the beginning of history, have worshipped animals. Did you know that? Like, if you read the Old Testament, they used to make golden calves and, and worship these animals. What we don't want to do is start worshipping elephants and donkeys, okay? We want to avoid that kind of idolatry. One of the ways that we can watch out for that is a trigger is when you see in yourself, I'm actually more passionate about my red or blue than I am about the kingdom of God. It's a red flag. It's a, it's a, it's a question. It's a concern. Here's number four. Is your party's package deal in lockstep with your faith? That is a red flag. If you see no difference between your faith and your political party, I hope you raise a flag. These are flawed institutions that are temporal, that cannot possibly reflect in its entirety the kingdom of God. Not a chance. Because I, I hope if you see that, that ought to be a red flag on this. And it's something that we got to pray about, talk about. God, help me understand this. Here's another just little rule of thumb for you. If you're a Republican, and as you look at the heart of God in Scripture and you believe that the heart of God falls with something that would be considered a Democrat position, are you willing, are you willing to break ranks? Likewise, if you're a Democrat and you see something that is a Republican position that you think mirrors the kingdom of God, are you willing to break ranks? That's a litmus test question for where you're loyalty ultimately lies. Last question. Would you be willing to personally sacrifice for the kingdom of God when you step into a, a voting booth, when there's an issue, when there's a conversation that you're having? Would you be willing to sacrifice if it means it's part of your reputation? Would you be willing to do that? If, if a vote means somehow that it impacts your financial picture, job picture, would you be willing to do that or not? And if not, we've placed something above the kingdom of God. Guys, I want you to look at the questions. Let's put them up again. Look at these questions, and I just want you to think, which one's for me? Which one's for me? I want you to pray this week and think about it because, guys, there is incredible joy in being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're not just called to talk about it. I really believe as you gain convictions, we are called to action the church at its greatest. 
over the history of the world has always acted. It has always been more than just talk. And that's where we're going to go next week. And I pray that you can join us. So God, we lift to you our hearts and ourselves. And we pray, God, that we would go under your banner as our king. And so, God, even now as we sing, uh, we pray that in our words and in our hearts that you would hear from us that our allegiance is to you, our love is to you. We will never follow after Caesar. We will never flip our souls over to anyone other than you. God, your image is on every person in this room. And the call is incredible call is to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.